Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. I'm Tarish Hari Prashad bringing you some cutting-edge current affairs on a Sunday um, as we do every weekend to keep you up to date, to keep you informed. And I think most importantly, to really give you that platform to give your views a voice and, and you know, I just look forward um, to knowing that you have that space, you have that outlet to talk about some really crucial and critical issues and I think what you talk about then really sets an agenda for those around you, meaning everybody else listening to Newsbreak Talk right now and everybody gets to then um, learn something new or want to contribute and share. So definitely something very important in a time of COVID-19 uh, when everybody um, you know has a lot of um, you know divisions and PPEs and, and, and clear sheetings to protect us and keep us divided. It's great to have a virtual platform like Newsbreak Talk where you can connect and you can talk. So I like to facilitate that for you. So um, always, always a privilege. And so something interesting uh, came to mind over the week. And obviously we know that there's been, um, you know, really, really challenging times with regard to COVID-19. Um, the second wave was particularly challenging for, for many, many still reeling from it. And I think the nature of COVID-19 has literally been that um, one is going to lose somebody very close to them. And uh, many has have, have, have seen that, many have suffered that. And um, I think the reality is that, um, you know, to date, there's almost 50,000 people who've died of COVID-19, I think, since the start of the pandemic in the country. And definitely um, that brings with it a lot of loss, a lot of tragedy and a lot of sadness. And we know that... Um, whenever somebody close to us passes away, uh, it's really a cycle that you have to go through of grief, isn't it? So um, that's a tough one. But I think the dynamic changes when you have to grieve under COVID-19 protocols. And we've spoken a lot about, um, you know, um, the sorts of, of, of trauma and the sorts of challenges with regard um, to having a funeral under COVID-19 um, with regard to obeying certain protocols, um, and, and social distancing in this regard. I mean, we all know at a funeral, uh, everybody's holding everybody, everybody's trying to be there, holding, whether you're just holding hands or hugging somebody, um, everybody's generally trying to help each other through this difficult time. But in COVID-19, you can't do that. Um, a lot of people cannot even see uh, at the beginning of the pandemic who had not been able to, you know, even view the, the, the remains of their loved ones. So definitely a sad um you know, time with regard to, to, to bereavement. But the South African Hindu Mahasabha, they held a COVID-19 bereavement and grief counselling webinar yesterday to talk about these issues and, and really provide a sort of psychological perspective, uh, obviously even a cultural one, um, to understand how best to deal with bereavement during COVID-19. Um, and I'm fortunate to make contact with, and I think it's always very important on, on a platform like Newsbreak Talk to give young people the uh, uh, opportunity to speak and and to really reach out. So, Kayleen Mudley is one of the um, you know young youth activists and members of the South African Hindu Mahasabha, and she joins me on the program now. Kayleen, wonderful to make contact with you. Thanks very much for your time. Good afternoon, Taresh. Thank you so much for having me on your show this afternoon. It's an absolute, absolute honor to to uh, speak to new people. I think we definitely love that mm-hmm. here on Newsbreak Talk. So, Kayleen. Uh, a COVID-19 bereavement and grief counselling webinar. What was discussed here? So uh, the South African Hindu Mahasabha felt that COVID-19 
the pandemic resulted in the sudden premature loss of life, which had a devastating impact on many families. And it left people with little room to uh, process the, the loss. And we felt that, you know what, having this bereavement webinar would give people the tools to process and to sort of manage their grief in, in a healthy manner. Um, we had speakers that ranged from uh, Pandit Dr. Lokesh Maharaj to Professor Savira Ramlal, who is um, an active clinician and academic who is involved in medical education, as well as um, Mr. Santosh Pillay, who was the, um, sorry, he is the clinical psychologist at the King Ginezulu Hospital Complex. So we've had these people on that would be professionals and were able to provide ways for people to manage their emotions and deal with their grief and understanding and accepting it. So that's the reason behind having the webinar. And so, I mean, definitely a, a, an important thing to do, right? <laughs> what were some of the outcomes specifically uh, from the likes of the KZN Mental Health Advocacy Group? I do know you've had Dr. Ramlal and Santosh who've uh, previously shared a lot of great information with us here on Newsbreak Talk. Um, what were some of the, you know, dynamics they provided onto the webinar? Because I think grieving is one thing, but grieving in COVID-19 is something different altogether. Yes, definitely. Um, so, Dr. Sevilla Ramlal, she had our um, she had a presentation that she played um, that she provided with us, and the outcomes were to accept the um, and that the bereavement and grief it needs to be accepted, and that we we should sort of manage uh, our grief in a better in a in a better manner, and to be able to be around our, our, our families was such, it wasn't, it was, it's not easy to be around, to have our family around on during COVID conditions. And therefore they felt that it was very rushed and, and people need to be able to provide a manner in which they, um, in which they deal with their grief yeah. and that they're not alone in this world. And, that there are people out there that support groups that are able to assist them, and they provided uh, us with uh, with council groups that they could contact and support structures. Yeah, I think very necessary in a time of COVID-19. Um, you know, Kayleen, something that had come to mind, uh, rather to, to attention, um, you know, a, a while ago, a topic that had come onto my intray was, um, you know, protocols with regard mm -hmm. to um, to funerals. And I think every culture has one, you know, there are, where there is a Thanksgiving ceremony that the Christian, people from the Christian faith do. Um, and I know that uh, with regard to Islamic that has to be done really quickly. So there's a lot of, um, you know, planning and, 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 and it's, it's a quick process, which, you know, ultimately will mean that a lot of people need to be in contact with each other very quickly. Um, so these are, you know, what happens in, in various faiths. And of course, in the Hindu custom, there's a lot mm. of, um, you know, uh, ceremonies that take place after, after death. But somebody said to me, I don't want to attend these. I don't want to um, attend funerals because President Saldam Aposa has called this a super spreader event. Um, and I feel I don't want to 
you know, hold nighttime vigils with family members, mm-hmm. even if it's a very close funeral, even if it's somebody within my immediate family. I don't want to do it for the health protocols and the health risks that they provide. Um, did that arise in any sort of conversation? Have people mentioned anything to you about that? Because a lot of people are saying I'm being ostracized for not wanting to participate in funeral events um, with, with family members simply because I'm afraid of my health. Has that ever come to light in the, in the webinar? That actually did come a light. Um, in yesterday's webinar, they discussed that according to everybody's traditions, like the Muslim people, they grieve almost within 24 hours because it's very sudden, very quick. And then when you have Christian people, they have the memorial services. Uh, Hindu people have the 16th day, all of that. And that was taken away in an instant. So people didn't have... Um, the support of family and friends coming over during that period to assist them with with simple things like um, the daily chores, making food, things like that. And it was just, it was, as I said, taken away. And that that came up and a lot of people were, they, they didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to say goodbye in that manner. And with the whole COVID protocols and people not being able to attend and there only being 50 people allowed at a funeral, uh, lots of people felt that they, they, um, that they, they have to just respect the, the views of other people and their family members for not wanting to come there and to protect themselves as well. So it was, it was a lot to, to handle for many people, but I think that in Professor Sevira Ramlal's um, presentation, as well as uh, Santosh Kule, they explained that you have to understand why some people might not want to attend, and and it's just it's the new normal, I guess, but people have to um, understand and respect it. But, yeah. Yeah, I think definitely, because... Um I remember, I mean, I know from past experiences um, that the first thing one says when somebody passes away, do you need anything? What do you need? Mm-hmm. I'll bring over yeah. some sandwiches. I'll make tea. You know, I remember those those mm-hmm. those sorts of courtesy that's often uh, provided to, to, to those going through bereavement. But in a health protocol now, I mean, it's so um, you need codes and you need licenses to actually, um, you know, serve food in a time of COVID-19. So obviously things like that fall away. Does that mean that the love is lost, that I did not come to the funeral or I have not come to the, you know, to your home to hug you the way I would because of COVID-19? Does that indicate then that the love is lost, that I don't care or that I'm not grieving or there for you? not at all. I, I don't think so because, um, I mean, I went to a funeral recently where we had to actually uh, take um, our temperature and all of that. And as you said, it's something so um, different to what we've had in the past. And um, technology, I feel, helps us to overcome the separation. Um, I've seen so many of my friends, um, their parents passed away and I obviously couldn't attend because of the limit. I had to watch a live stream of the funeral, which is something so unknown, but, you know, it helps you feel that you're part of, um, like you're giving support to them in some manner. And I don't think that there should be any love lost because you're trying in some way to be there for them. And even if it means driving by during the week to drop off a meal for the family or just to be there for them, somebody for them to talk to, whether it's over the phone, 
I don't think that um, people should think that there's any love lost. Yeah. No, most definitely. I think it was a very important uh, issue to drive home. Um, and I think, um, you know, there's a new normal, though. Um, a lot of people, it's been a year, let's let's literally say this, I think March is a full year since South Africa has been in the full throes of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, and while a lot of people and on WhatsApp and on our news break talk, they tell us that people still don't adhere to protocols, they don't wear masks, they don't sanitize, but a lot of people do. You know, um, a lot of people have... Um, a lot of people have, um, well, Shamila Maharaj from Stangas just messaged us and she says, uh, we know that we have lost many loved ones, but to many that I see with no mask, social gatherings, not following protocols, although the vaccine is reached South Africa, it doesn't mean that the virus is gone. It's still here. No matter what the government mm-hmm. says, we have to agree um, we, with our president. And um, yeah, so of course, that's Tamil Maharaj saying a lot of people, you know, not adhering to protocols, but a lot are, you know, there are people who yeah. literally will not uh, leave their houses, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that South Africans have, have really understood the way in which to go about life in the new normal? I mean, a lot of temples um, and and uh, religious or orga- other religious organizations, churches, mosques have not mm-hmm. observed um, big festivals and prayers because of the new normal. Do you think South Africans get the message now and get the picture now and they've adapted? I think that after a year, maybe um, it's been driven home that you need to keep your social distancing. But I think that technology played a big role in assisting in in assisting in bridging the gap between being physically at a temple or a mosque or a church or something like just this morning um my i've i could hear a pastor praying from his home for just the general wellness um of uh the community and i felt that that was some way in which you wouldn't have normally had under normal circumstances but it's something that they adapted and and took into their stride to to as i said bridge the gap uh between um, what they once you previously knew to now, and yeah, but uh, t- technology definitely I think played a big role in live streaming of comedy festivals and yeah, those kinds of things. Definitely and something to think, uh, to take forward then with yeah. regard to um, to the future. Hopefully, <laughs> no, I just wonder. Um, I know. Uh, the last big event that I attended, you know, as a normal person, <laughs> was Holi last uh, last March. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful memories of Holi, and you know, I just wonder will I ever play Holi again? You know, it's such a contact festival, and I just wonder, you know, if, if these things will ever return. But anyways, Kaylin, as we wrap up, I yeah yeah your uh, safety and things like that as well. Absolutely. But Kadeen, as we wrap up, you know, having uh, hosted that bereavement and grief counselling webinar, what is the overall overwhelming message that you would leave to South Africans right now on how to do two things? One, you know, be prepared for death due to COVID-19, because that is the reality of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And secondly, how to be there for others while maintaining social distancing. So to deal with uh, a death, due to COVID-19 is, firstly, you you have to 
you have to accept the views of other people if they don't want to attend the funeral or something like that. You can't hold it against them. And for the family themselves, because it's such a rushed uh, process in terms of the funeral, you have to be able to, um, you have to have, I guess, the comfort of your family, but from a distance. And I think that grief is a normal part of our uh, of life. Well, not a normal part of life. It's, it's life by Natural, nature. Natural, I guess. Very, yeah. It's very short, but the memory of a life well spent is sort of eternal. So the best you can do is make the most of life. And from the bereavement uh, webinar, I think the most important note was that uh, grief is, it's like the ocean. It comes in waves, ebbing and flowing. And sometimes it, the water may be calm, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. But all a person can really do is learn how to how to swim in those rough waters and how to be, um, and how to sort of come to some kind of acceptance of life. It's difficult. Uh, it's very very difficult, but. I guess with the correct support structures that were provided, it would be possible. Yeah, most definitely possible. Well, Kayleen Mudli from the South African Hindu Mahasabha, thank you very much for joining us. Great to have made contact with you. And thank you very uh, we much. look forward to the work that you'll do future, in the future. Bye. Kayleen Woodley, yeah, thanks so much. So there we go. We're talking about grief and and um, you know grief counselling. So yeah, we can just open that up to you. I mean, you know, have you lost somebody um, very close to you um, due to COVID nineteen? And what were you know what was that challenge like? Um, what was that challenge like? You know, I, I really wonder. And if you could you know if you have the courage to share that with us go ahead and do so and um you know any tips any uh, coping mechanisms you'd like to share with um with others on the program please go ahead and do so and uh, i think the important thing that we're talking about as well because we, i think we constantly need to look at tangible ways to handle the pandemic and the pressures and the injustices of it and one is you know, maintaining social distancing, even with loved ones, dear, dear loved ones in the time of death to ensure that there's no further spread of COVID-19. How do you do that? I mean, you know, you just picture the scene, you know, you hear that a loved one, a brother, a sister, a mother, a dear friend, a dear cousin has passed away. Your first instinct is to hug somebody close to, to you, hug somebody close to that person. That's instinctive. But in a time of COVID-19, you're not really allowed to do that. So how do you bridge that? How do you, you know, create that balance, straddle that? How do you do it? You know, share those thoughts with us if you could. Um, Daniel Chellen sent us a voice note. Hello there. Hi, this is Daniel Joshua Chellen. As far as funerals and after funeral parties and uh, things like that, hey, seems to be a super spreader but i can't understand how these things can be super spreaders when you're sitting in a taxi next to each other touching each other no social distancing some of the taxis got no mask and they're allowed to carry on and people that are breaking and violating the law as far as the ace uh, supporters that gathered together and the people that camped outside jacob zuma's house the law has done nothing for those super spreaders. Are the government only looking at certain people or is those laws only apply for non-ANC members? Thank you and God bless you. 
Mr. Daniel Chellen giving it over there. Um, I think uh, powerful points. I mean, you know, um, yeah, what is a super spreader event then? Um, and the issue of taxis a lot of people i i think the issue then one becomes you know um choice versus necessity though then if you say that what is grieving and being there for a family member not a necessity somebody could say it is a necessity to be there for somebody who's just lost their mother or their child and you know so definitely definitely this is why i thought it was an interesting debate today to to open it up to you um so, um, yeah, interesting points being raised by Mr. Chilin. I wonder what your thoughts are on what he said. Um, I do know that um, police have uh, intercepted, I know specifically with the ace, uh, Magashule, his last court appearance, there were arrests. And, of course, uh, police did intervene there to, to, to break up those, those gatherings. So, you know, you just got to question the enforcement of it um, while it is there. You know, it is there in some instances, it's not there in other instances. Um, tough one to call, isn't it, Mr. Chellen? Yeah. Okay, chapter two on a voice note. Good afternoon to you, Taresh and the listeners. I'd just like to comment on the Joe Biden and the human rights violation issue. Yes, it's, it's sad, the manner in which Kasogji had lost his life. But let's look at the world's greatest human rights violation. 70 years on and the Palestinians are still suffering. I mean, we can't bring back uh, Kasogji, but I'm sure we can return the land to the Palestinians. Thank you from chapter two. Chapter two, ongoing issue that I've spent a great deal of time talking about. It is something that we must revisit. Um, I did speak to the Afro Middle East Peace Center, uh, Mr. Naim Jinnah, who uh, on the issue, you know, what does uh, this mean? And, you know, with the re regime change in the U.S., what does it mean then for the situation in Palestine and uh, specifically the Gaza Strip? Um, definitely something that I do want to spend some time focusing on. And I do uh, have a report on if I do have some time, chapter two will definitely go through that. Okay, Ranjani ready on a voice note. Hi, Taresh. How are you? Lovely topic on uh, grieving and bereavement. Last March, on the 11th, we lost my dear mom. And on the 26th was the lockdown where we had the ceremony and that was the last of us siblings getting together even the prayer throughout the year was done uh, one on one because we could not and then there was no uh, uh, thing like we getting uh, support from each other as siblings we had to deal with the loss on our own and it was difficult but via the telephone we could speak we could do things and uh, Really appreciate all those that stood with us through uh, these difficult times. It's a year now. May God richly bless you, Taresh, on this informative program. Lots of love, Ranjini Reddy. Lots of love, Ranjini Reddy. Thanks so much. Mr. A. N. Gavinder, I'm just going to say, please don't, uh, we don't take WhatsApp uh, voice calls, so please don't. Mr. A. N. Gavinder. Good afternoon. Yeah, I just said we don't take WhatsApp voice calls. If you could please refrain from doing that, whoever you are. Good afternoon, Taresh. Our deepest sympathies to the families who have lost their loved ones caused by the pandemic. In these... But, 
I'm so sorry about that, Mr. N. Governor, your voice note keeps getting intercepted because we have somebody um, dialing the WhatsApp line. We do not take voice time. calls. Okay, please voice note me if you'd like to contribute. I'm going to try and uh, play that uh, message again with Mr. N. Governor. Afternoon, Taresh. Our deepest sympathies to the families who have lost their loved ones caused by the pandemic. In these difficult times, we are unable to view our loved ones before cremation or burial. We have seen four members of one family pass on. It is sad. I have lost a dear friend. I always phone the family to assist them uh, regarding pension change, medical aid and other matters like winding up of a state. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Governor, for that. Um, wow. Uh-huh. Frank, I have been chasing up the story with not too much of luck. Um, I did I did uh, interview, I did, like I say, send out an email requesting an interview with the broadcast channel in question. But uh, Frank is talking about um, discrimination based on race regarding adherence to mask wearing in the parliamentary precinct. But ordinary folk have been put in jail and fined for this. Of course, Frank's different sort of take there on it. I think he refers to uh, a great race row that has erupted about, you know, people of certain races being asked to wear masks while others aren't. And um, he goes back to... um, so he goes back to the issue of ordinary folk have been put in jail and fined for this. But uh, if you and if you look at it on 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 TV, they want those. So yeah, adherence to mask wearing definitely a, a hot topic at the moment. Um, so yeah, keep the messages coming through. When we come back, we continue with your messages and um, we take the conversation forward. Your favorite newspaper just added even more insight with the new Insider Supplement. From personal finance and politics to entertainment and property and so much more, you'll find the inside track from our world-class journalists and contributors. Get the inside view from the insiders only in the Insider. Exclusively in the Saturday Star, Independent on Saturday, Weekend August, Pretoria News Weekend, Sunday Tribune and Sunday Independent. Brought to you by the power of Independent. Join the Insider Essay this Tuesday evening at 7.30 as we celebrate stories of legacy. Explore the Cedarberg wilderness with adventurer and host of Futspur, Johan Badenhorst and his son Stricker. Visit a private game lodge in Hutspreit with music producer DJ Tira and his wife Gugu Kati. And discover unique three-dimensional art created by father and son duo Ken and Dean Maloney. That's the Insider Essay, Tuesday evening at 7.30, only on SADC3. Okay, half past 12 on the program. We'll shift to other issues as well, depending on where you'd like to direct the conversation. I do have other things on the agenda as well today, but I wanted to start with the issue of grief. Um... Oh, what a sweet message. Tuning to Saturday as well as Sunday from 5 past 12. Not even 12 o'clock. 5 past 12 until 1 o'clock. Thank you very much for updates. News from around the world. Um, rating for month of February would be 100%. <laughs> Thanks for um, 
taking the loyal listener WhatsApp. And this is from Ricky Naidu, the night owl, who's up in the day, Ricky. And we're so happy that you are up in the day and listening to us. Always a pleasure to hear from you, Ricky. Tonti from Richard's Bay says, it is incorrect to say that all those who passed because the COVID uh, pandemic was premature, the reason the priest from Mahas Sabha opened books to do astrology reading, say people that persons died in good or bad time um, and instruct many rituals to be done, but the circumstances change where priests refuse to carry out the few rituals. Um, yeah. Okay, that's a separate issue altogether there. Uh, so yeah, keep the messages coming through. Ramba Murli in Phoenix is love lovely topic, but it's not easy. After losing uh, a loved one, it was during Christmas that my f- um, my favorite um, that I lost my favorite people in my life and couldn't be there to pay our last respects, and it still haunts me. Yeah, grief. So I think while we wait for a lot of your messages, etc., you know, um, Rachel, I think we've had a complete brush with with grief, haven't we? Um, I don't know. I'm going to say something and it's, uh, it may even upset the audience and insult them a little bit. But, you know, I, I become so clinical sometimes when you hear of, of really important people that have passed away, you know, and, and stuff. You know, it's, it's just... You take that moment and then you get, you you know, you soldier on. You know, there's, there's yes, a sort of a tough yes. exterior. And I know you've, at times, you've taken days to get over oh. um, passing away of certain people. Yes. Whether it was people we've interviewed, etc. Um, so I think everybody deals with grief differently, isn't it? And I think uh, the one issue with COVID, the pandemic is... There's no space in between the times in which we grieve. It's like almost every day, every second day, every week, there is someone that we know that has passed on due to COVID. So we don't have the time to grieve, and it becomes grief that amounts to more than what we can handle. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it has been tough for a lot of people. Yeah, and when you look back on it, Rachel, I mean... When you look back on it, Rachel... um, so many ones that we've lost and I think naming somebody would be would be incorrect I guess because you know that in itself excludes then okay whoever you are dialing on whatsapp for so many times now please it really upsets the broadcast system that I'm working from and I cannot continue with my work if you continue to do it we do not take whatsapp voice calls please voice note us I will play your voice note I assure you that please stop calling me on whatsapp um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's the thing. But uh, so many ones that we've loved and the ones that have, has affected you to the point that you just literally had to sit down and say, wait a second, I cannot handle this. Can you, know, you even name? Can you no, even remember? we can't. And, and, we can't. Yeah. But I can tell you, you know, if we're looking at from like a work perspective, sometimes um, we are working on a story and we want to pick up a phone and then we realize the I've heard this with you guys, yes. Not, not around anymore. The you other know? day Tashlin says, oh, this is a nice story on drugs. I'm going to phone Sam, Sam. Pillay and he takes the phone to phone Sam and Sam Pillay from the anti-drug forum is, is no longer there. here. Yes. And even, I mean... <laughs> Like we said, we don't want to name any yeah, names because yeah. we don't want to forget I think you're going to have to, though. I mean, it depends. You know, grief is also something that's close to your heart. And mm. if you grieve a particular person, mm. that's your own prerogative, you know. And and I think, it's, besides with work, even in daily lives, there are some people, like I have a friend, well, sorry, I had a friend, Satish Dupilia, who yeah. we used to love taking photos of the moon and the yeah. sun, sunset, yeah. sunrise, yeah. moonlight. Yeah. So every time I grab my phone and I take a photo of the moon, yeah. I want to send it to him and I realize I can't. So 
it's it's yeah we, it really affects everybody everyday Absolutely. lives even going shopping with friends that you love mm. or, or to eateries restaurants yeah. Sharing photos that you normally send to people that you normally do, now you can't. Absolutely. I, I think for me, and I said this to Selma Patel that day because she was the first person I saw when I got the message, when, when we got the message. Um, the first, and I, like I said, I've been reporting on it for months now. I've been deaths in my family as well. And I just go, you know, just a t- tiny little prayer and then you move on to the next task mm-hmm. or the next thing. But this one, I really had to take a moment. Um, Minister Jackson Mtembu. Yes. That one got me. Yes. I I I I cannot him. understand how I I ended up so sad. I, I couldn't work for the rest of the day. But that got me here. I remember my last interaction with him. Um wow, and just to think about that and you know something like COVID-19 just takes that away from you, you know? He just showed so much of respect uh in the last incident with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is just, it's just always, you know, always. Yes. Just a general conversation with you, but his arm would be around you. Yes. You know. Yes. Wow. And you miss those things. So definitely, those are the the, the sorts of ideas we had when we set aside this conversation. L A on WhatsApp, and he says. It's a year since the state of disaster was proclaimed. We should now be accustomed to the regulations. These regulations were introduced after consultations with the NICC, which is the uh, Command Council. We now... Um, know the causes of results and uh, and of non-compliance the reason that we've managed to keep our death rate relatively low is due to these regulations it's therefore perplexing to constantly hear what is government doing aren't we adult enough to take responsibility or must we be policed like kids it's in our hands let's grow up um Vanin Phillips, thank you for the suggestion. I will look into that. Thank you for that talk show suggestion. I will look into that and I will mention it on air when I do have more information to actually sustain a conversation on it. I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh, Sally from Phoenix, um, we lost many neighbors, friends, relatives, families and loved ones. The pain of losing loved ones, um, it's unbearable. Then you get siblings fighting over inheritance. Yeah, that's the... The, the human condition, Sally, I think that's something I t- we can't talk about, I guess. That's an age-old thing. Although we know COVID has destroyed our lives, school children are not using masks after school. Yeah, that's important because uh, we do understand that the second strain of COVID-19, it's no longer um, a virus that affects a particular age group or a particular uh, you know, health condition. It, it, it really is f- that fluid. Mala says, I think that only the immediate family of the departed souls should attend the funeral. We have heard of many people contracting the virus through funerals and ceremonies. Many people should not feel obligated to attend funerals because it's very risky. We have to prevent a third wave by following protocols. That's the reality, Mala. Don't be fooled that a third wave could not strike. Yeah. Um... Louis Pillay says, the saddest part is that we can't replace those that we lost. And it's so sad. Yes, Mr. Pillay, definitely can't. Um, Sharon, Sharon Pillay from West Cliff and Chatswood says, I feel your pain every time we pass uh, Karwa Road. And remember that no one is there for me to visit. My routine was to stop for coffee at Sam Pillay's house. Yeah. Uh, Vijay from Cape Town says, I am still grieving the loss of my gem of a brother who passed away on Boxing Day, three days in hospital. Wish you strength there. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Rachel, 
You know, um, it was just interesting to see. I think it was um, Mala that mentioned we have to prevent a third wave. Is that the way we are living now, where we are moving towards a state where we are talking about the third wave and how we can prevent it? And it's just scary. That is how we're living now, Rachel. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is well, how we're living okay, now. Okay, yeah. We don't want another wave. No, we don't. Nuh-uh. No. <laughs> so, yeah, those are your messages coming through. Okay, let's, while we're talking about COVID, let's talk about vaccine updates. And um, there are some, some issues on the agenda here that I want to raise with you and inform you about. The second batch of Johnson & Johnson vaccines have arrived in the country. President Cyril Ramaphosa announced that another 80,000 more Johnson & Johnson vaccines were due to arrive in South Africa. More than 60,000 frontline healthcare workers are already vaccinated. Um, they've received the one, the, the first dose of the jab. Soleka Kadashe reports. The consignment of 80,000 vaccine doses is expected to be moved to a secure facility in Gauteng before being distributed to various vaccine centres across all provinces. The single-shot vaccine has shown a 64% efficacy rate against the coronavirus variant first discovered in the country. The South African Health Products Regulatory Authority Authority, Sapram. Meanwhile, says it has found that several communities in the country are developing antibodies against COVID-19 following the second wave of the coronavirus pandemic. Chairperson Professor Helen Rees says in light of this, the delivery of the second consignment is encouraging. In the context of our variant, it's about 64%. Not only have we got a high level of effectiveness against severe disease, but we didn't see deaths. So this is really encouraging because we have been very very concerned that the vaccines that we're going to be looking at now were not designed for the variant that now is predominant variant in South Africa. So I think this is encouraging. And we're also finding that a lot of people have got antibodies following the second wave. We've also got natural immunity at quite high rates in, in different communities. So we've got natural immunity and then we'll build it up with vaccine immunity. Public health expert Mosa Mushabela says he believes that the private sector, NGOs and civil society should also be involved along with the public sector in the rollout of the coronavirus vaccine. Health Minister Dr. Zuelim Kize says the healthcare sector may have to consider inoculating more than the original target of 40 million people to reach herd immunity. Moshabela says more sectors need to be involved to help fast-track the vaccine rollout program. This is one of those difficult times where we need all hands on deck. I don't see how this can be done by government alone. Everybody has to play their part. So the delivery here in terms of the vaccines will require different partners to come on board. That whole thing around social compact, this is when we need to make it a reality. Make sure that private sector is on board. Make sure that civil society is on board. Uh, non-governmental organizations, ordinary community members are also providing income support because it will save lives. If we don't do it, then we are prolonging our misery. Healthcare workers who have not yet received the coronavirus vaccine say they are anxiously awaiting the jab. The second batch is also expected to be administered to the group. Medical officer intern Balesa Mogwena says she is excited to receive the jab.
I'm excited to get the vaccine, mainly because we know that it's not going to prevent you from getting COVID necessarily, but it does prevent more severe disease. So I think for that peace of mind, just knowing that as we go to work every single day, working with COVID patients every single day of our lives, we're not necessarily risking our lives to that extent anymore. So for that reason, and having a newborn baby to protect, I'd say I'm really excited to get the vaccine. Meanwhile, the National Department of Health says it has reached its first vaccination milestone. The department says over 63,000 healthcare workers have been vaccinated in the private and public sector since the first consignment of vaccines arrived in the country almost two weeks ago. I'm Zoleika Kodashi in Johannesburg. Yeah, so you update their own the vaccines and, and, and uh, the importance of that. Um, I found this interesting. President Cyril Ramaphosa has told editors that the ANC's top leadership will meet with former President Jacob Zuma soon to discuss, among other things, his defiance of the constitutional court order that he appears before the state capture commission. Ramaphosa was speaking during the live virtual question and answer session with members of the National Editors Forum, SANEF. Earlier, Zuma claimed that the chair of the commission, Justice Raymond Zondo, was biased against him, saying he would rather go to jail than appear before him. Debo Mokobo reports. Although former President Jacob Zuma has been asked to appear before the commission to respond to almost 50 witnesses who implicated him in the state capture, he has refused to come before the commission. He has claimed the presiding office of the State Capture Commission, Justice Raymond Zondo, is biased. Zuma has said he would rather go to jail than appear before the commission. But President Ramaphosa said a high-powered ANC delegation will soon visit him to convince him to cooperate with the commission. With regards to former President Jacob Zuma, there are quite a number of engagements that are happening. And one of those is an engagement that uh, he's going to be having with the, the top leadership of the ANC, which should be happening any day soon. And it's been agreed, he's agreed to it, and we've all agreed to it, that we are going to engage with him. He is a disciplined member of the African National Congress, and we will be able to have an engagement with him. And the message will be fairly simple and straightforward that let us all respect our institutions, particularly the judiciary. The president also said all allegations against the judiciary need to be substantiated, insisting that an attack on judges is an attack on the country's supreme law. He has articulated his reasons for not wanting to go there. I made my position very clear in my weekly letter and uh, argued that the attack on judges is an attack on our constitution. Judges take an oath to be faithful not only to the constitution but to our country and uh, they are an independent arm of the state and I will continue to argue that if there is any accusation that has to be made against the judiciary it must be substantiated. So those who just throw accusations at judges demean our constitution, our democracy and indeed our nation. He said as someone who had worked with Zuma in the past, Police Minister Peggy Kelo also went to Zuma's Nkandla residence in northern KwaZulu-Natal in a bid to convince him to cooperate with the country's courts and the commission. They come from far, the two of them. They've worked together in a number of uh, situations. He wanted to go and have 
a heart-to-heart discussion with the former president, Jacob Zuma. I know there will be views that because he occupies this position as the minister of police, he should not have done so because it could conjure up notions that other people are not all equal before the law. I'd like to dispel that notion because uh, from the report that he gave me, all they really ever discussed was the situation that uh, former president Zuma is in now in relation to going to testify to the Zondo Commission. Meanwhile, the meeting between the president and the country's editors and senior journalists also reflected on ENCA journalist Lindsay Dentlinger, who is accused of treating a guest differently based on race. The journalist told a black guest to wear their mask while white guests were not asked to do so. ENCA has said the conduct was not racially motivated or with malicious intent. But Sun F. Chairperson's Bungalwa said he's appalled at ENCA's response. I think it is important for us to acknowledge that those who are angry about this incident are justified. This country has a dark and a painful history of racial prejudice and violence. And it is not for anyone to tell those who feel racially maligned that they are being malicious. Journalists are not above criticism. That is why I feel that the statement released by ENCA last night is quite unfortunate and it lacked the maturity that this moment demands. This is not the time for us to bury our heads in the sand and to be defensive because such a position only serves to harden attitudes and perpetuate perceptions that we don't care about the feelings of those who feel wrong. Media practitioners and the presidency have also promised to have continuous interaction on issues affecting the country. I am Tebu Mokobo in Johannesburg. Okay, wow, lots there. Um, an attack on the judges of South Africa is an attack on the Constitution. Uh, so that's what President Cyril Ramaphosa said with regard and um, you know suggesting his his standpoint and um, on attack um, on former President Jacob Zuma, of course. President, former President Jacob Zuma said that um, he does not want to appear before Zondo, the Zondo Commission because of Justice Raymond Zondo. He feels he's going to be biased. And then President Cyril Ramaphosa then says that those, right, that's interesting, those who um, attack our judges are attacking our constitution. So, yeah. Interesting point there on the issue of Police Minister Beki Kele visiting uh, former President Jacob Zuma in Kandla. Um, President wants to dispel that because he says it gives the impression that there's going to be some sort of, you know, rang- uh, by virtue of the fact that he's a police minister, that, you know, he's going to have some sort, play some sort of role to, what, protect former President Jacob Zuma. Um President Cyril Ramaphosa dispelled that completely, saying he, in the report that he got, it was just a conversation on um, where former President Jacob Zuma finds himself with regard to the Zondo Commission. So I find that interesting. I find that vague. I, I still don't know. I mean, ultimately, um, if the police minister is going to talk to the former president about why he won't appear um, judicially, uh, as per sorry, as per judicial order to appear before uh, a commission of investigation, um, I, I I don't know. The lines could be blurred. I wonder, but obviously we were not part of that conversation. It wasn't a public engagement, so we don't really have access to what happened there. And then, of course, with Lindsay Dentlinger, the um, reporter, who in a video that has been circulating on on social media and across the country, um, you know, asks black interviewees to put on their masks but doesn't ask the white interviewees to put on their masks. So uh, Sanef saying that's incorrect in a 
climate and a current dispensation in South Africa and of course in a uh, sort of a growth trajectory that South Africa is trying to achieve with regard to non-racialism, these kinds of things need to be confronted and discussed. So I found that to be quite a lot of information over there. Okay, so chapter two did um, address an issue about... um, the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who was, um, you know, um, a, a victim of, of, of kidnap in, in 2018. Um, and a lot of, uh, you know, U.S. reports have been circulating now around it. So for you, Chapter 2, since you raised the issue, a declassified U.S. intelligence report, um, what they've done is that they've assessed that the Saudi Arabian crown prince likely approved an operation to kill and capture journalist Jamal Khashoggi inside a consulate in Istanbul in Turkey in 2018. That was in October. Um, After days of speculation, the report was released on Friday in a move likely to alter relations between Washington and Riyadh. Sherwin Bryce Pease reports. The main conclusion in the report came as no surprise after media reports as far back as November 2018 quoted anonymous CIA officials fingering Saudi Arabia's de facto leader. An independent UN rapporteur's investigation also blamed the Saudi government for the murder in June of 2019, but urged further investigation to determine under whose instruction the journalist was assassinated. The release of the report by President Joe Biden is now being viewed as a public rebuke of the 35-year-old crown prince and a different posture from the new U.S. government that has pledged to speak out over human rights concerns. Listen to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Our administration is focused on recalibrating the relationship, as we've talked about in here previously. And certainly there are areas where uh, we will express concerns uh, and uh, leave open the option of accountability. There are also areas where we will continue to work with Saudi Arabia, uh, given the threats they face in the region. The executive summary of the Intel report found that Mohammed bin Salman approved an operation in Istanbul to capture or kill Khashoggi basing their assessment on the Crown Prince's control of decision-making in the kingdom and the direct involvement of a key advisor and members of his protective detail in the operation. The report says it would have been highly unlikely for Saudi officials to carry out an operation of this nature without his approval. Saudi Arabia remains a strategic partner in the region. John Kirby is the Pentagon spokesperson. We have to be courageous enough uh, as friends to speak candidly and, uh, um, and, and to make clear our concerns um, about the rule of law and about civil and human rights, uh, even with friends and partners. Oscar-winning filmmaker Brian Fogel whose documentary The Dissident was released in January and investigates the killing of Khashoggi also weighed in. It appears that uh, that the administration uh, is very serious about re-examining uh, the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia, and uh, and in so doing, we might see some real uh, change in their human rights uh, violations, um, and that uh, uh, and in their policy of suppressing uh, freedom of thought and opinion. And I think the other thing that is shocking is the extents to which. Uh, an authoritarian regime such as Saudi Arabia will go to suppress freedom of speech and freedom of opinion. 
Khashoggi was a well-known critic of the Saudi government and the Crown Prince in particular. UN Special Rapporteur on Extrajudicial Killings Agnes Kalamad in a statement urged the United States to take the lead in ensuring accountability for the crime and for putting in place the international mechanisms required to prevent and punish such acts in the future. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. A lot of movement taking place um, in in the U.S. It seems, and I wonder the fruition of it. As chapter two been raised, do you know at what point is there going to be a change in in, in um, relations, specifically with the Middle East? So Hannah from Red Hill says the saddest thing happened in my family last June. I lost my only daughter, Aktisha. Families and friends were not there for me, especially my brothers. Her ceremonies were done within my home, all alone. Um, as I'm chatting to you, I have tears in my eyes. Yeah, Sohana, um, yeah, I just wish you strength through, through your challenge. Um, another message here. Um, Vash says, um, today masks have no age, no color, no religion. It has to be our new lifestyle. Little children can adhere to protocol. Why aren't some politicians and adults thinking that they are uh, indispensable? It's not on. They should be severely dealt with, and we witness this, but can't do anything. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, so, definitely, um, I think the issue of masks... Wow. Uh, I don't want to make light of the issue, but only in South Africa would you know, wearing of masks be turned into a race now. <laughs> you know, because um, that just shows how, how pivotal race relations is to every other thing that we do in South Africa. So something is essential and intrinsic and, and prescribed as a mask to protect you against COVID-19. Racism can even intercept in that, which shows two big things. One, you know, this nature of mask wearing, how integral it is to life. And second, what a big evil racism is that it's able to, you know, poke its way into anything. So, yeah, uh, definitely just a thought I had on that on that voice note. OK, so, yeah, uh, somebody mentioned about third wave. Yes, obviously, we're not in a third wave and, you know, there's no uh, need to panic, but by virtue of the fact that the COVID-19 virus spreads the way it spreads, um, you know, there's always the concern that you'll get so many other waves of COVID-19. And that's what we were talking about. So um, we're just trying to create a South Africa that's more proactive with regard to protocol and adhering to regulations to ensure that you don't ever get another wave, you know, whether it is 10th, 100th, 200th wave you don't want it so just go ahead and um you know uphold your protocol okay we're going to leave the conversation there then it came your way courtesy of the team executive producer salma patel and rachel vadi uh, thank you to everybody who contributed today really appreciate it great to connect with you all um, i'll talk to you soon from itarish hey have an awesome day news break lotus fm powered by sabc news